Matthew, it's podcast 29 and we have a special show today. Yeah, we certainly do. We have a chat with the director of Last Man on the Moon, Mark Craig. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Firstly, what an amazing film. Anyone who hasn't seen it, please check it out. I think it's on Netflix for maybe another month, and uh, you, but you can still buy it on DVD and Blu-ray. It's absolutely fantastic, so for sure check that out if you haven't. And, and uh, yeah, we talked to Mark Craig, the director, um, an absolutely lovely guy, um, fantastic director. He's got several films that you should definitely check out, but we talked to him about The Last Man on the Moon. Can you explain to us, Matt, a bit well, about it, that before well, it the was, interview starts? It's a really lovely interview, and obviously we're going to be playing it in a second, but uh, <laughs> my favourite moment was that we sat through a little talk by uh, Mark that he gave to the British Interplanetary Society, and um, right at the end there was a question and answer se- uh, section, uh, and uh, yeah. one of the questions right at the end, which was a very good question actually, was by Marcus Allen, our guest from last week. And, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, and the answer was really, really funny because halfway through he says, "Of course, we're not those kind of nutters who who don't believe that we're not <laughs> that we didn't go to the moon." <laughs> and Jamie, you can imagine Jamie and I were giggling at the back. It was fantastic. My. My jaw dropped. I thought it was absolutely. I was teasing Marcus about this later on, and uh, I said it's because he's part of the Illuminati and and knows and knows what you know, and that was his secret message to him. And then I realised, no, actually, this might be feeding into his psychosis. So, I (laughs) yeah, definitely don't do that. I was a bit worried. So, uh, yeah, so we're back to sanity this week. And uh, thank you very much for everyone's emails that uh, and that came in. Yeah, we got a lot of people saying that, you know, they really enjoyed it and they don't know how we uh, held our tongue, let's just say. Um, But as we said before, you know, Marcus is a lovely guy. He just doesn't think the same as us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's put it that way. You know, and I, I think that there is a place for people uh, questioning conspiracy theorists. Uh, Absolutely. But, let, but we're not going to do it too often. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it has its time and its place. And uh, this week we're resuming normal service. Normal service, so please. with that, I, uh, I think we should just go straight to our interview with the Let's delightful in. and lovely, what a lovely man this guy is, uh, and here, very here. talented, uh, Mark Craig. Here we go. Today's guest is Mark Craig, the award-winning director of the fantastic Last Man on the Moon. Mark's solid direction and Gene Cernan's warm, articulate and insightful presence make this one of our favourite films about the US space programme. So I'd like to uh, welcome Mark Craig onto the show. Absolutely. Welcome, Mark. Good evening. Nice to be here. I understand that the film uh, Last Man on the Moon, Last Man on the Moon, uh, was inspired by Gene Cernan's autobiography of the same name. Uh, did you read a lot of space books? And what was it about Cernan's book that really stood out to you? Well, I did read a lot of space books actually. I mean, I, and I was reading space books when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I was nine years old when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, twelve when Gene Cernan walked on the moon. And, of course, that was a pretty big deal for any kid that was around at the time. So, you know, I had all the books and the airfix models and all the, you know, 
paraphernalia that goes with what was then the space age. Um, and I guess that interest has always been there, um, and it had lain dormant for quite some time until, by chance, I, at a party, I met uh, the author, Andrew Smith, and he had just written Moon Dust. And I read that book, and, and I guess something was really reawakened in me. And I started buying all the other astronaut uh, autobiographies on, on Amazon, and I read Gene Krantz's Failure is Not an Option, Tom Stafford's We Have Capture, Mike Collins's great book, uh, Carrying the Fire, and others. And, of course, I eventually stumbled across Gene Cernan's book, The Last Man on the Moon. And I think it was before I'd even got halfway through it, I, I had become so gripped by it uh, as a story, and not just as a story, but the way he was telling it in such a personal and charismatic and, and dramatic way that I, I, I just forgot about being a, a, you know, a, a casual space fan and switched back into filmmaker mode and thought, I've got, to, I've got to send him an email to see if I can convince him to make a film. Well, Fantastic. we were just about to say, what, how, how did you approach him? So the first bit was an email. Had you already had a relationship with him before then, or did you go in cold? Or was there an introduction that you knew someone that knew him? It was just a straight... I went in solo, absolutely ice cold. OK, all right. Um, I, I, you know, I'd never met him. I, I, the only place I thought of sending an email to was the book's publisher, yeah. who were based in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that elicited a, a phone conversation, and they basically said, look, you know, you, you better speak to, you know, the chap who represents him, you, you know, because he has legal counsel... And I ended up engaging in dialogue with him for some time, and then we set up the conference call with with Gene. Um, as it happened, he was coming over to London uh, in a couple of months' time uh, from that time, and we're talking 2006 here at this yeah. point, 2007. Um, and so I got to meet him uh, over breakfast for an hour um, and talk about, you know, this film that I'd wanted to make about him and uh and he had he had a whole ton of questions for me you know he, he was I learned from the first meeting that he's he's a very he gives a lot of attention to detail um he, he like being a military man he kind of likes a mission you know right. uh, and he wanted to know all the facts and then he processed those facts and then so it wasn't just that he said yeah let's do it you call the shots oh no 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 right. he, he didn't just say let's do it he's you know it was a good initial meeting and he said oh, I'm doing this thing in uh, Washington DC you might want to come over you know and basically what he was alluding to was the um, he, he was being awarded the, the Wright Brothers Memorial Trophy wow. in 2007 um, on the uh, what was the I think 35th anniversary of uh, um, his last steps December the 14th and so I went over there Met his family, met his friends, met his lawyer, um, and that, uh, you know, up the ante, up the ante a little bit, and 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 so it went on. When when I've got this theory, and I always when I talk to my friends, I always say this that that if you're uh, an Apollo astronaut and you've been to the moon, that you can walk into the room with it doesn't matter who's in the room if it's Paul McCartney, Elton John, or anything like that. As an Apollo astronaut, you walk into the room and it's like you're you're now top dog because it's I, I've been to the moon. <laughs> so did, when you oh, presumably you you hung out with with Gene Cernan for for a long time, did you ever get a sense of did you ever get a sense of that of when he m- walked into a room that the whole atmosphere changing or was he or was he 
did he come across as just a normal bloke? He... Well, both really. I mean, I mean, he is a, a normal bloke, or was a normal bloke, um, but he, when he walked into the room, there was certainly some electricity, you know, and I felt it, and I think it was just, you know, the idea um, that, you know, only 12 people have walked on the surface of, you know, another body in the universe, as he called it. Yeah. Um, and, 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 of course, that is a very special you know, achievement, which does trump all your Mick Jaggers That's and your true. McCartneys and, your, and, and, and a number of politicians I could name. Uh, um, they, are, they are all-time rock stars. And so, you know, he carried that pretty well, but, uh, but he never forgot where he came from. He, he, he was also a very grounded individual, um, but very disciplined, you know. I mean, he, a lot of time in the military, so he could switch it on, do what he had to do at a, at a corporate event or at public speaking or, or you know, if there was a f- f- formality of some description. Yeah. He, he could do that. But he loved to just get his tie off and, you know, just yeah. hang in the bar and, you know, chat like one of the guys. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. We had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Al Worden, who was on Apollo 15. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, similar amazing. Sort of thing yeah, well. similar <laughs> kind of character yeah. in yeah. many ways. I've I've been present at one of Al Warden's talks. He's great. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's brilliant. We were shaking before we met him. I think <laughs> just like sky <laughs> to the moon. You know, what do you say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, w- I wanted to speak about a Chris Hadfield quote. He said that exploration is fundamental to human nature, and it's why we walk before we can talk when we're young. Um, what do you think about the state of? Uh, space exploration at the moment considering that we haven't been to the moon in 50 years well i agree with this statement i think we are all hardwired in our dna to to you know certainly us you know cavemen to go wandering off you know and trying to find you know exactly or food or you know some valley over the hill where something might be better um but i you know and i think it's that that sort of instinct in us that has led to all kinds of incredible uh, explorations over the years, uh, um, and, and the, you know the, the moon is just about you know the, the icing on the, the cherry on top of the icing on the cake. Yeah. Uh, um, but what do I think? I think anybody that was around at the time, it, it, it seemed, and I remember this as a kid when I was 12, 13, It just seemed like anything was possible, um, and I remember my teacher telling me. He goes, you kids are really lucky, you know, by the time you're my age, you're going to be having holidays in space, you'll probably go to the moon, you know. It, it just seemed like that rate of progress was just going to continue, but, it, but of course it never did. Yeah. Now, in terms of exploration, I mean, there has been fantastic uh, um, robotic exploration of space. You know, we've gone to Mars, we've gone to, you know, the moons of, you know... Jupiter, yeah. and and uh, um, and of course, you know, landed on uh, on on meteorites and yeah. all kinds of stuff, and that's great. But it's manned exploration that really gets people excited. Um, and Gene Cernan knew that. Gene Cernan was a man who just really wasn't interested in orbiting Earth for hundreds yeah. of days. Mm. You know, that would have driven him mad. He 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 just didn't want to do that. And and you know, he, he did that fifty years ago. Um, He's only one of very few people who could talk that kind of language because I think most people would, would kill to orbit around the planet Earth for a few days or weeks. Mm. But he's kind of, he was very much of the feeling that, no, we, we, we've done that and been there and we've been much further than that. Mm. You know, we need to go even further. Um, and he always used to say this. He always used to say, 
you know, oh, it's great that we got Curiosity driving around on Mars, but, you know, nobody ever gave a robot a ticker tape parade. <laughs> And it's the human endeavour. It's when people know that there's a human being sitting on top of that rocket, risking his life to be fired into space and for things to maybe go wrong. That gets people. So when when Elon mentioned going to Mars a while back, I mean, I don't know when he would have started talking about it. Yeah, I think with that. Yeah, actually, that was before. Yeah, Gene. I mean, did Gene? ever mention Elon Musk and what he was he was planning to do did he ever talk about that or was he, he was he was cautious about naming names if you like right. you know I mean but but, but he, he he more than anybody understood that certainly things were different in in his era you know it was very much space race and and Russia and America were the superpowers yeah. you know leading the way he understood that you know if any space exploration was going to happen in the future, it was going to be a multinational effort. Yeah. You know, that, that's just the way it's probably going to happen for financial reasons, yeah. diplomatic reasons, all kinds of reasons, really. Shared knowledge. Yeah. Um, but the, um, in terms of Mars, you know, he was beginning to read things like, oh, people were volunteering for a one-way mission yeah, and they could get him there, but they couldn't get him back. Yeah. He didn't really buy into that. He goes, that, that's, that's, not, you know, that's not what it's about. You know. there's, a, there's a philosophical point to this, which I think you've, you've alluded to, is the fact that, because at the moment we're tackling moon hoaxes on, on the podcast. We, we had a, a, a quite a famous, well, not a, a reasonably infamous guy, Marcus Allen, on last week, talking about uh, the, the moon conspiracies, essentially. He's obviously on the, the lunatic side of uh, moon conspiracy. Uh, and... And I think that those moon hoaxes exist because of we've somehow lost our urge to be explorers, and that if we became explorers again, that would the society would sort of peel that would peel away from society. Do you, yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? And is it is it is this something that Gene ever spoke about? Was the kind of moon hoax? Did, did you ever did you ever get a sense of frustration about that? From I think he was beyond frustration, really. Uh, he, he'd be, you know, he's had people thrusting Bibles into his hand, come on, saying, swear, you know, you went, and all this kind of stuff, and people challenging, oh, yeah, you know, and of course, you know, if that happens often enough, and, and all of the moonwalkers had to suffer that, and Buzz Aldrin famously punched somebody for it, you know. So that, that was, that was a, a real drag, but I think he then came round to just accept that some people just, you know, wouldn't believe, and... But he says, you know what, Mark, they, they just really missed out on something that was just one of the greatest achievements that humanity has ever done. And they, and they, and they just missed out in sharing that. Yeah, well, I mean, and, yeah that might be part of the, and, the reason why they're doing it, might not it? And, 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 and where do they think we went, he said. You know, yeah. there was nearly a million people down at the Cape for Apollo 17's launch. And they saw this giant thing going up and deepened as, you know, what do they think yeah. we do, you know? The Russians wouldn't have let them get away no, with hoaxing. That's the big that's one, is yeah. the Russians yeah, they were clearly would have blown the whistle. Yeah, of course, they would track them all the way. Of course, it surely would have turned up in WikiLeaks for us. No, but, yeah. but I mean... Yeah. I mean, the, we, we know that it's ridiculous, yeah. the, the, but I'm talking more about the psychology of... And I think that it's definitely got something to do with the fact that, as a, as a world, we're slightly more interest, introspective now, aren't we, in terms of... I think and it's we are. great, and it's great watching watching the last man on the mo- last man on the moon. One of the things that I really loved is 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 that seeing all those people, Gene Cernan and, and his friends, mm. just how brilliant their whole outlook on life is. So it, it, it's so refreshing. 
in a world that's turned in on itself in, in some ways. Yeah, and if you remember Kennedy's speech, well, you won't remember it because you know. Well, we, I've, we, I've, we, seen, I've seen it quite a few <laughs> times. <I do laughs> but uh, we were we were yeah. we were running around in, in in nappies at the time, or I was. But but you know, obviously he issued the challenge to go to the moon. But he also said, you know, uh, to the American people. You know, ask what you can do for your country, not what your country can do for you, kind of thing. And I, and I think post-war there was very much a, a generation of go-getters uh, who were wanting to be the best they could be and yeah. be their country, you know, their country to be the best that it could be. And they and they all had that mindset. And I, I've heard Gene Kranz, the famous flight director, say exactly what you've said. You know, he goes after that achievement when the 70s came along. People did get a little more, uh, a lot more introspective, um, and and inward looking, and and sometimes you just got to do something for the greater good, and maybe that good is going to be beyond your lifetime. But unless we lay the foundations for the future and stop living sort of just for the short term, um, then how can we as a species keep evolving uh, onwards yeah. and onwards? There's a great quote. Um about, I think it's, a society grows great when old men plant trees in which shade they know they'll never sit in. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me. Yeah. Like, what are we doing for our grandkids? You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's obviously some great stuff going on, but, but there's, you know, some seriously big challenges for the for the world leaders at the moment you know, some of is. whom are, are the problem <laughs> yeah, absolutely no 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 what, what was your favourite moment of the time because you spent quite a lot of time with Gene Cernan what was your favourite moment with Gene Cernan and have you got any exclusives that you're going to be sharing with the BIS tonight I've, I've probably got one or two anecdotes that will make people laugh and, and shouldn't go beyond the four walls of the BIS. Yeah. Um, I'll just deny everything. Uh, uh, um, but in terms of the f- favourite moment during filming, I mean, there really are, you know, quite a few. Um, I, but I, but I, you know, the, I think my favourite moments was, was when he and his good friend Fred Baldwin got together because they had an incredible chemistry. Uh, Fred Baldwin, or Baldy, as he's known in the film, uh, uh, an old naval aviator buddy of his. They, they were friends for 50-odd years. And, uh, um, you know, whenever they got together, it was just like they were 25 again, you know, busting each other's chops. Mm, yeah, it's brilliant. It is uh, brilliant. That's, that's uh, one of the uh, best bits of the film. And, and that was a gift for the film. I mean, it, with documentaries, you can sort of plan so much, but you, you can't... You know, there's, a there's a brilliant bit where he's kind of teasing him, and then they have a hug at the end. It's just like, oh, and yeah. I love you, man. They're, they're, but they always <laughs> do that. Really they they yeah. were always doing that. That was their double act, you know. And and so it was very entertaining to to just be around them when they did that, both off and on camera. They didn't do that just for camera. Yeah. It, it's something I they, noticed about your style was the fact that a lot of those films about space are obviously about the monumental scientific achievement mm-hmm. and all those kind of things, but. This definitely had a, a much more intimate feel to it, a much more personal story. Was, did you set out right from the beginning to make it more intimate and more personal? Well, I don't have a monumental scientific brain, so that rules that option out. But uh, you're really emotional. No, but I am. I'm sensitive to the human emotion yeah. and the journey you know, we all go on. And, and um, like I said, I come from an arts background, not a science background. I make films most definitely with my heart, not my head. 
And, you know, I'm not a specialist in space at all. I've made films of all kinds of extraordinary people. Some are famous and some are not, you know, but, but it's, it, there's something about the change over the course of time that we all go through, which I'm constantly drawn to. Yeah. And so, as well as wanting to tell Gene's story back in the day, I was also wanting this kind of parallel na- narrative of his life today, of what it means to be an old man looking back at that yeah. time and, and how little things just trigger old memories. And, and so it was very much a twin narrative of past and present. And, and that's something I like to do in, in all my films. And, and certainly I'm on the lookout for, you know, humour, pathos, you know, something a little bit philosophical maybe. But what I don't, what I really hate is, is uh, you know, a narrator or a voiceover telling the audience what to think. I'd rather just serve up, you know, the people who were part of whatever story it was and we can all just yeah, go on that sense, ride yeah. with him and, and, and we can all feel what we feel individually. Well, actually, yeah, that's, yeah that, that is the greatest thing about any art, isn't it? Just letting you decide. You yeah. Know? But what a gift Gene Cernan was in terms of his ability to tell his own story is fantastic. Yeah. Really For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the book blew me away. That's what, that's what <laughs> made me think. I, I read the book and I thought, here's a guy I can work with because it just seemed to marry up in my head, mm. you know, the way I like to make films. Yeah. Were um, there other? Did you see any other space documentaries that inspired you? Not to do it, but were there other space documentaries that you admire that you really like? Well, of course, you know, I, I, I went out of my way to watch as many space docs as I as yeah. I could. And you know, go, going going right back from you know from some of the archive mm. films of the sixties through to For All Mankind. Uh, um, I loved In the Shadow of the Moon, uh, uh, which came out, you know, just as I was trying to get this film together. Um, so all of those, you know, went into the, 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 the melting pot. But of course, I wanted to make a film that was nothing like anything that had been made before, yeah. uh, you know. And, and I certainly didn't want to go down the old well-trodden path of, of the Discovery Channels or the, you know, science series that you see. Fantastic as they are, but I wasn't interested in the thrust of the engine and the, you know, the, yeah. the density of the, of the, you know, the rock or whatever. Um, it is a, absolutely a human story that I was after. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I have to say, one of my favourite bits of the film is the bit where Gene's contemplating whether it was a dream or not, where he's leaning into the, into, into the capsule that's in the museum. And he's talking about whether it's a dream, and he wonders if his story is going to last a hundred years or a thousand years. And I think that's like a such a brilliant, poignant bit of the film. And what I actually like about the film is the fact that now you've told his story, it is actually more likely to last a, a, a thousand years. That it's that you know, it'd be really great to think that that, that that's part of the story and, and will go on as a. Well, I, I like to think that some exhibits in museums or, or fantastic sites like the, you know, the pyramids at Giza, you know, I mean, they're not going to just bulldoze them down, are they? They're, yeah. they're just part of incredible history. And, and all of that Apollo hardware distributed in museums around, you know, yeah. America and our, our, yeah. our he one was here. In, he was in the Apollo... He was in Apollo 10, which we have in the Science Museum. Fastest man ever. I mean, they're not going to take it to a, to a breaker's yard and crush it, are they? You know, yeah. you, so how, how long is it going to be kept? I mean, forever, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, why, why would you not keep it? Uh, um, so, you know, Gene very much had a sense of 
where he was in space and time. And all of us are here for a relatively short period of time. And he's been out into deep space and just seen the really big picture uh, for a short time. And, and of course, you know, has got a perspective on it that we can all learn from. Just out of interest, how did you choose the music for the film? Was there a certain composer that you wanted to work with? Well, interestingly, the the first bit of music that I knew I absolutely wanted to use was uh, the the, the track that we used during the Apollo 10 transposition and docking uh, sequence. Going back one from there, I mean, I, I you know, I, I was very inspired by Stanley Kubrick and 2001, A Space Odyssey, and, and of course, I wasn't going to just be all cheesy and use Strauss, you know. I, I wanted to be, I wanted the sort of my equivalent of his Strauss and make it epic. And 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 so I came across this bit of music that was suggested to me by my next door neighbour. Actually, he just suggested it as a, oh, have you heard this thing? It's amazing, you know. Uh, and basically, it was Eric Whittaker's uh, version of Lux Arumka. Right. Uh, I think he got he called it his virtual choir. There, there, there were like 287 voices from around the world, all singing their solo part, and then he put it together into this beautiful vocal kind of score. Now, it was a really beautiful piece of music, but I really liked the idea of. <laughs> Of a siren bl- <laughs> blaring in it. We must explain that we're, we're, yeah, we're, on the ra- we're on the Vauxhall roundabout at the BIS. <laughs> yeah. They're coming to take me away at last. No, it, it was a beautiful piece of music, but I really loved the idea that there were all these international voices. Mm. Um, and during that, um, that sequence, uh, um, Gene Cernan says the, these great words, which was, you know, it was America going to the moon, but the whole world was on that spacecraft with us. And I just like that international flavour uh, of the voices all sort of, you know, sending them on their way, you know. Yeah, I love extra bits. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that, that worked for me. And, and, and of course, you know, trans- I never did Latin at school, but, so I had to look it up. But Lux Aronke je- loosely means light and gold. And I think there's something about the sunlight reflecting on all the gold foil of the Apollo spacecraft and, you know, I don't know, if you want to get into the deep arty-fartiness of it all, then, then that's where my head was at. So that was really the first bit of music that I, that I wanted to use. And everything, I think, was built around that. Um, although, the, you know, of course, there were some sort of commercial pieces of music of the time to give it that sort of 50s or 60s flavour. But really... You know the, the the skill of of getting a good film score is that you need to sort of bind all these disparate elements together in a kind of theme, and that's where Lorne Balfe, the the you know movie composer, and he's a very uh, experienced one. That's where he was able to come in, look at the big picture of the film, and and try and score the, you know the, all the rest of the film so that it fit together somehow. Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic film, and thank you very much for spending yeah, the time. Thank you so much. Because I know that you're about to give a talk now, so we've actually just before you go, where can people go to watch the film or buy the film? Well, you can go to the web, film's website, you know, um, lastmanonthemoon.com. Um, you know, we we have a, a pretty active Facebook, uh, you know, page as well. There's lots of information going on that on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I mean I've, I've watched it several times on Netflix. I have to Netflix. say, it's on Netflix. We, we, I mean, in, in in the aftermath of his death, obviously, there there is some talk that at some point 
um, partly as the wishes of the family and also, you know, the, our distributor and everything, you know, there's increased interest, obviously, but there may well be a, a super special DVD in, in, in you know, the not-too-distant future, um, because here's the thing, you know, when an astronaut, or and more to the point, a moonwalker, lets you into his world and, uh, you know, you, with cameras, I mean, believe me, we, we filmed, you know, everything we possibly could. Of course, far too much for one feature-length documentary. Mm -hmm. So there is an awful lot of really great material that couldn't end up in, in the yeah. final film, which was painful for me to, yeah. to live with. Yeah. But thank goodness for the advent of DVD extras, because, of course, you know... So we'll cross our fingers for a second disc. Yeah, <laughs> at, at some point, at some point. Fantastic. Who knows when? Maybe even the Gene Cernan cookbook. <laughs> How well, he has his coffee. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing he could have killed for was a hot coffee on the moon. You know, they, 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 you know, when, when the Gene Cernan cookbook. He would have laughed about that. Uh, I mean, certainly squeezing tooth, uh, squeezing food out of a tube. You know, while you're in a pressure suit is, yeah. is not ideal. No, no. good. <laughs> but anyway, well, I suppose awesome. what I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I better, better go. Up. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank so you very much. much. It is my pleasure. Definitely one of my favourite films. Thank yes, you. No, awesome. great. I really Thanks appreciate that. It was it was my favourite film to make. Brilliant. And I don't know how you know <laughs> what I'm going to do next that will be as as meaningful or fun. Yeah. Thank awesome. you very much. Cool. Awesome. That was great. Thanks very much. No worries. Let's cool. That's nice one. Thank you very much. Uh, I just want to say uh, that in the pub afterwards, uh, Mark uh, was sitting with me and uh, one of the, his projects that he wants to move on to next is the uh, is the, the sort of emotional story about Apollo 1. And God, yeah. wouldn't that be fantastic if he does that, if, he's, if he it gets that be, project off the ground? It would be amazing. And there's... there's I don't think there's any reason why it won't happen, he said. Uh, so let's let's hopefully... Look out for that one in the near future. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that really moved me actually last night was that he said that that uh, at Gene Cernan's uh, uh, one of the sort of uh, memorial kind of services about Gene Cernan, he got a big hug from Tracy who thanked him for making yeah. the film. And I thought, God, that that's vindication if ever there was one. It's it's really really Absolutely. really cool. And for Gene Cernan himself to 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 have seen a film about his life that's so beautifully done. Well done. Oh, well done, Mark so, Ray. I'm so, yeah, I'm so happy that he got to see the film and and it blew him away. He did, he said, he, he was quoted as saying to Mark, um, I didn't realise that was the sort of thing you were going to make. I think he thought it was going to be a kind of rough and ready documentary, you know. Um, <laughs> how, how cool was the bit must where have blown away. one of the people that persuaded him to do it was Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford <laughs> said, Literally. they're not filming you, they're filming your story, oh. because he was a bit nervous about it. I mean, imagine that. Oh, fantastic. Imagine going for a pint with Harrison Ford. Yeah, his mate. His and mate, Gene Harrison Cernan. Ford. Oh, my God. Blade, <laughs> Blade Runner. Runner. Indiana Jones. <laughs> and the man on the moon. Han Solo. We don't use that. I was going to say, I like the way we, did, we didn't even mention man Han Solo. man on the moon. Really the most rock and roll of them all. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. <laughs> So, yeah, wow. well, definitely check it out if you haven't already. Matt? I'm sure you have. Yes? <laughs> What's been happening in the world of space this yeah, week? Yeah, well, we, let's quickly run through all the space shizzle Fire like we up. normally do. So one thing I thought was really, really cool, and, and it's, this is, a, this is a, something that you wanted to cover on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, Jamie. So oh, yeah. I really wish we had now. But they've switched it on. They've switched on a, a huge... Uh, um, 
basically a worldwide telescope which uses lots and lots and lots of different telescopes to obs- yes. to go and observe the uh, black hole at the centre of our ah okay yeah so that's pretty so they've switched it on so have they got any data back no no i don't well i'm sure they're getting data back right now but i think it's on i I don't know how long it's on for but we're going to report back on that one so this could be the first literally image of the black hole at the center of our galaxy which will be a should i be this should i be this excited about a black hole i'm sorry but i am well let when I was a kid, black holes hadn't even, you know, it wasn't even a proved thing. But now it's like we talk about them like they're kind of like going to the shops. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want anything from the uh, shop, Matt? Uh, uh, yeah, can I get a Cornetto and um, a black hole, please? Uh, and, and another thing that I think we really need to mention, because I got this in my news feed quite a few times, that people thought I, I should really see it. And I agree, yeah. it's a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic uh, little scientific paper that's being done that basically suggests that dark energy may mm. not actually need to exist. Right. So uh, one of the weird things uh, since about 98, and we've discussed this on the um, uh, podcast before, is that uh, we realised by measuring certain uh, how far supernova were um going away from us in various galaxies that the universe not only was it expanding but the expansion was accelerating and the only way to account for this is is an energy that's that's causing this acceleration yes and uh and when you translate that energy into mass e equals mc squared uh it turns out that that that, uh, mass is 68 percent of the of the known universe which is a bit embarrassing it's a bit embarrassing that we don't know what 68 percent of the universe is made of so um uh so it's always been one of those massive things but uh this is based that uh, assumption about 68% is based on the lambda cold dark matter model which is the accepted model at the moment it's but, one of my uh, favourites yeah well com- and computer scientists have, have sat down and they've realised that no actually you can uh, you can simulate uh, this galaxy formation and the way that they do it with where galaxies are found on the thin walls of each bubble and large nice. pockets etc so and it turns out that you don't necessarily need dark energy uh, and that uh, you get consistent results without dark energy so that's one to look for obviously it's only one paper and and the standard model of of this the lambda cold dark matter cold dark matter model is lots and lots of papers and won a nobel prize so uh it's 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 a long way from turning that over but it's an interesting uh, little paper and nevertheless and i knew i had to mention it because so many people had sent this oh it's definitely got to be mentioned yeah, yeah. there we go yeah and of course uh, following on from uh, last week's genius falcon 9 landing we've got uh, there's awesome. a lot of photos now of the orbital rocket coming back to cape canaveral where can people see them matt uh i think now there's some oh, well, i'll tell you where the best ones are that i've seen so far yeah. Is on americaspace.com. There's some fantastic wow. photos on there. Uh, uh, but, they're, but, they're, but I mean, obviously SpaceX have been publishing a lot of these, but they're, but they're just really nice to see this thing. You know, this thing's been to space, has, you know, been to space twice now. So that's not yeah. bad, is it? It's not bad at all. What an achievement. So well, do- well done them. 
so that's well done. so uh, that's a piece of history, and I think that that'll be a ama- that'll be an amazing piece of history. And talking of history, here we go. New Horizons that went past Pluto, which I cannot believe was almost two years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's gone quite far. That's that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's that's like twice as long ago as the podcast has been running. I'm, I almost think that we covered this, but <laughs> when I say it's gone quickly. I don't mean the probe, which I assume, which, Matt, is which going is, at about 770,000 miles an hour. Yeah, I, I think right? it, <laughs> you're about right. I think that's Just throwing about it right. out there. Well, and it's 3.5 billion miles away now, uh, which means uh, it's halfway. It's reached its halfway point to the Kuiper Belt object it's on going to next. And Alan Stern, the principal investigator for New Horizons at the Southwest Research Institute in Boulder, Colorado, said, It's fantastic to have completed half the journey to our next flyby. That flyby will set the record for the most distant world ever explored in the history of civilization." Was he from Wales? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to say boyo at the end. (laughs) Hello, Milanda. It's a civilization. Boyo. What is that? Right. Anyway, I'm going to go. I'm going to go into a bit of uh, geeky rocket stuff now, Jamie. I know oh, you love it. I know you love do it. Do you have to? No, I'm. I'm only. I'm going to skim over this. But we'll, I thought be, it was the, we'll be the judge of that. Go on then. Quite a lot. I'm of, timing. Uh, I'm timing you. <laughs> quite a lot of rocket stuff happened this this uh, this week. Well, I learned about a, a bit of stuff. Uh, right. Some of it like surprising. Some of it not so surprising. So Aerojet Rocketdyne. Uh, aerojet right. rocketdyne rocketdyne uh, obviously the big 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 rocket manufacturer have been showing uh-huh. off the fact that they've been uh, managing to uh, uh, create a lot of the parts for their classic RL10 rocket engine using 3D yeah. printing so that's uh, oh, wow. so so that it's like so they they're creating the RL10 and just what's amazing about the RL10 that's been involved in 475 flights that's amazing. Yeah, and it's always the kind of upper stage choice of NASA's missions. That's the standard. Every planet in the solar system. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very reliable engine, and it's going to be on the upper stages of the SLS. So, you know, and uh, and obviously they're continually improving it, and one of the ways they're doing it is to uh, do a bit of 3D printing. I tell you what, 3D printing has really taken off. Excuse the pun, but it has. No, well, that's, ah, yes, nice. Now, in bad news for Aerojet Rocketdyne, uh, right. United Launch Alliance, uh, the ULA, are leaning towards Jeff Bezos's a BE4 engine rather than one made by Aero, uh, Aerojet Rocketdyne, the Air, the AR1. Okay. So uh, it looks like they might lose that contract. That that actually, you know, this is something that's not really a surprise to the insiders. They kind of knew this was happening. I'm not surprised. I know you're not surprised, but you're you're totally no. up on it. Now, talking of Jess Bezos, yeah, uh, he uh, said on Wednesday that he's selling about one billion pounds worth of his Amazon stock annually to fund his Blue Origin rocket company. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, so so I wonder how many years of of that one billion he's got. Uh, I mean, I know well, that Amazon know. are multi billion company, but 
But how many are we talking here? It's quite a lot. And yeah. but what well, what's funny is the new Glenn rocket that we've seen, the big old uh, super, the basically SLS equivalent, your, your heavy yeah. lifter. Uh, the, the development cost for that is sort of two point five billion dollars. About that, yeah, yeah. You would need to start selling stuff. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And what and, could we sell, Matt? I mean, maybe a, a few <laughs> guitars, some books. Um, yeah. You've got some Star Wars figures, haven't you? Yeah, so I reckon. I reckon I can cobble together we could, about thirty uh, we could quid. Get, we could get some money. We I could get I've some got, money. I've, I've got an old Samsung S4. We just need a 3D printer now, and we we can Job start done. making rockets. <laughs> well, Orbital ATK, I guess, are going down that route because they're they're also yeah. developing a, 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 a rocket to compete with SpaceX and United Launch ah, Lines. So there we go. So there's another one. Now, there we go. Uh, uh, Gwyn Shotwell, of course, you know as the SpaceX CEO, yeah. big time, uh, said this week that she wants to get the Falcon 9 reuse down to 24 hours and that's when they know that it you know this is valid and so this is what she said our challenge right now is to refly a rocket within 24 hours uh that's when we'll really feel like we got the reusability just right <laughs> i don't know whether she speaks like that jamie but no I'm, she I'm, might she I'm, might not speak like a 1950s uh, english school teacher no, but and I'm, that's I'm, all right i'm i'm really jealous of all those podcasters that went to the 33rd space symposium i know, I a, I know a couple saw of them. that photo and i wanted to be there yeah i really want to be there uh uh um but you know we weren't so that's that uh uh but Shotwell, can we go to should... cape canaveral soon please <laughs> we should definitely well, we're going on a cape canaveral trip soon for it has Shizzle. to be it has Let, to be a thing so right. well we need our patreon supporters not that we've got a patreon page but if we did uh, we'll then maybe one. they can fund it for us. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's do that. Let's just see if we can use the podcast as a w- way of getting summer holidays. Well, of course. Yeah, standard. <laughs> so, oh, at least we can do Oh, yeah, it is. That's, you know, it's the put, only reason I do it. Yeah, we put a lot of effort in this. <laughs> Shotwell didn't specify the exact cost of the refurbishment, but she said it was substantially less than half of the original manufacturing cost. Isn't that exciting? Wow, interesting. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's going to save some cash. Uh, and Shotwell said at least one piece of the fairing was recovered from the Atlantic Ocean after last week's launch. And yeah. although she didn't say whether it was slated for reuse, it looked pretty good, she said. And you'll see okay. more fairing recoveries as we go this year. Which is brilliant, isn't it? So we, we eventually did get some news about the fairing. So, yeah, they managed to retrieve a little bit of one of them. I think it's wonderful. Because even though Long... these just look like panels, they are actually quite expensive, apparently. Oh, of course they are. I mean, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. Off, they're off a rocket, aren't they? Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. In other SpaceX news, uh, drink. Drink. Uh, SpaceX are going to launch Falcon Heavy later on this year with two flight-proven boosters, as they're now called, rather than reused or second-hand, right. as the BBC like to refer to them. So uh-huh. flight-proven, I suppose, does sound slightly better, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. Uh, and Musk said, our expectation is probably a late summer launch of Falcon Heavy. And what I, what I, this is my favourite quote of the week. Falcon Heavy is one of those things that at first it sounded easy. We'll just take two first stages and use them as strap-on boosters. And like, actually, no, this is crazy hard. <laughs> and required a redesign of the centre core and a ton of additional hardware. It was actually shockingly difficult to go from a single core to a triple core vehicle. 
Wow. No shizzle, must yeah. boy. Right, yeah, so there but we go. you know go. what I like about him? He He's the first to say it, isn't yeah. he? Whereas you know that there's other companies that would just be like, don't say yeah, it, tell, him it, tell him it was all the part of the plan. Yeah, it's all part of the plan. Uh, Richard Branson, your mate, your mate Richard. Oh, yeah, what's he, what's he up to, old Dickie? Well, he's aiming for the first space flight this year. This year? Yeah, so it's going to be this... With people? With people. I know, I think it's going to be a test flight. So he, uh, Richard Branson said, and I'm going to try and do an, uh, 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 an impression. What do you think? Okay, here we go. Third, so third time I, lucky. Oh, uh, no. See, I'm going to try and do posh English, but it's kind of... I think that I'd be very disappointed if we're not into space with a test flight by the end of the year. And I'm not into space myself next year, and the programme isn't well underway by the end of next year. Is that a good impression of Richard Branson? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I'll say that was, yes. No, it was terrible, well Jamie. It was It terrible. was really bad. It was really bad. Uh, the test wow, programme okay. is going so, really well. And as long as wow. we've got our brave test pilots pushing it to the limit, we think that after what it, whatever it is, 12 years of hard work, we're nearly there. It's getting camper. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, sorry, everyone. Matt's had no, a glass of rosé. No, I, I, no, I, like... genu- no, I tell you what's brilliant. Yeah, the pub here serves mild. I haven't had a pint of mild for ages, so I got really excited, Jamie. That is a dad quote, if ever I heard one. I know. Mild, everyone. <laughs> pint is... of mild. I'm, I'm, not, I'm telling you now. If I, if I'm not right, for IP... our foreign listeners, can you explain mild? Mild is a type of beer like IPA or or London Pale Ale or bitter or lager. But mild has fallen right off the map. But I've got a, I've got a brilliant feeling that it's just about to come back into fashion. And, that, oh, and you, heard it, and, and you heard it on this podcast first. Here we go. But anyway, it's brilliant. Timestamp that. Yeah, timestamped. Matt set the trend. I don't know if I want to be known for someone that tre- set the trend for beer, though. <laughs> Unless it's beer in space. Yeah, then that's true. That's um, true. Yeah, but apparently uh, Budweiser or Beck's are talking about setting up a brewery on Mars. I don't know if that was for publicity. But... No. Anyway, um, uh, one of my, my favourite... Uh, this is the last story, Jamie. This is the okay. last story of the week. Because, we you know, we don't want to make this too long. This no. Podcast. I think we had such a win-win with Mark, the lovely Mark. We that, absolutely that, that, did. So that, you know, just leave our listeners alone to soak exactly. that up. Let's soak that glory up. So, um, my favourite story of the week is that... Yeah. Uh, one of our favourites, Peggy Whitson, ah uh, yes, has been given a three-month extension to her mission on the International Space Station. That's awesome! Another three months. So that will make what? How how long in total? Uh, a long time. <laughs> how long has <laughs> she already been up there? Do you know? I don't know. I guess uh, hasn't she been up there for three months already? Do you know what? I actually I don't thought know. it might have been. Well, I thought it was six originally, and then this will make it nine. Oh, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. I, I, I must admit, I actually. Don't know, but it's... Please let us know, listeners. But one of the reasons um, why she's staying up is because only two people are going up on the next launch. From Russia. Yeah. No, it's yes. not, not just not just Russians, is it? I think it's two Russians rather than three are going up, hence she's staying on. Oh, okay. But I will confirm that. Um, uh, uh, and so... Wow. So I wonder if she's got... I wonder if, how many more spacewalks she's going to potentially be doing. Oh, then, yeah. Because she she's, already, she's already got the record. Yeah. Yeah, she has. She, she might, so she might be wonder, doing it. Yeah. What's the record for the male spacewalks? Oh, I, I, I don't know. But all I know is she's about to break the record full stop 
of Cumulative Days in Space, which is currently held by Jeff Williams, who only got it recently, with 534. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and she's going to become the first woman to uh, command the space station twice. <laughs> so Amazing. she's the only woman to command the space station, and she's the only p- woman to command it twice. Long may it continue. So, well done, Peggy. Let, let's, let's face it, Peggy Whitson is an absolute legend of space. Complete legend. So, uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thanks, guys. And uh, next week, uh, we shall be tackling uh, uh, Marcus once more into on, into the breach, we should say. Yes, so and, make uh, sure you still keep sending us in your rebuttals. Uh, they're yeah, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Get them he in. He can't because, say anything. No, because we, we've had some really, really good we ones. We can't promise it will change his mind. But we can promise... I think we will. It, it might be a short answer. No, and, and listeners, I know it's annoying, I know it's annoying, but uh, imagine that if this podcast went out and that there was one of these people that was umming and ahhing about the moon hoax and then they listened to our podcast and they realised that, of course, it's a ridiculous point of view. And actually, as you said yesterday, Matt, when if you can change somebody's mind to believe we did go to space which we all know is true Mm -hmm. then wouldn't it be lovely to be part of that club that you can just reap the benefits of knowing that we did such an unbelievable thing well of course i got that was that was mark's answer about gene and 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 the fact that gene cernan basically sort of said well they're the ones missing out missing out they're the ones missing out and on that note jamie I'm going to say bye-bye. Okay, Matt. Bye.